Find your seats, silence your phones, and suffocate your children. It's time for Menace to Curtain by Miscreant Theater Collective. That's right, it's MTC by MTC. Welcome, everybody. My name is Dylan McDonald, and I am joined, as always, by... You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. It's Andrew Stratocaster Schmendeman Rogers! What the fuck are you doing? I... What do you mean? I'm I'm introducing the podcast. You're second. It's empty. Second, my second what? No, you are second. In in order of appearance in this podcast, you are second. Hmm. And did, it doesn't did, feel right. Does did it... did I hear a smother your children in that <laughs> intro? Um, I have to go to the bathroom. Okay, why don't you go to the bathroom and I'm going to start this off right. How about? All right, if you say so. Okay, excellent. Um <clears throat> Everybody, please find your seats, check your tickets, and do not smother your children. This is Minutes to Curtain by Miss Korean Theater Collective. Hello, everyone. I am Andrew Notchmendman Rogers, uh, and I am joined today, who has just come in. How did you come in the front door? I thought you went in the bathroom. I ran really fast. Oh, okay. Nothing mysterious or mystical? No. Okay. Nothing quantum. Well, good. Well, take, take a deep breath. Uh, everyone... You speak an infinite deal of nothing, and the deal of nothing that's being spoken is my co-host, Dylan McDonald. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> speak, I speak only in infinity, or Audi, if I'm paid correctly. This episode's brought to you by Audi. Please go buy by, an Audi. Buy generic luxury sports cars. <laughs> please give me one. Oh my god. All right, so, Dylan, today we yes, are going to be discussing... Uh, the Quick Bunny. No, sorry. Uh, Pablo at the Quick Bunny by Mr. Stephen Martin. Mm-hmm. No, wait. Sorry, I'm I'm looking at this wrong again. This is Picasso at the Lapine Agile by Steve Martin. Of I think the first one was right. Oh, okay. I mean, well. I I am no Frenchman, but uh. <laughs> I, I think you had it right the first time. Oh, fair enough. I mean, I, I, I don't know much about this Steve Martin guy. I feel like he's kind of a jerk, you know, kind of a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Oh, Jesus. I just, <laughs> you know, maybe he's cool, though. Maybe he could be one of my amigos. I was going to say, there are two of us right now. <laughs> Steve Martin could be the third amigo. That's I never. That's, that's as good as being the third musketeer. I Probably, although technically didn't, weren't there four of them? Don't, I don't. Athos, Porthos, Aramis, and D'Artagnan? I do not read. Okay. There are three musketeers, and that's what my candy bar says. Okay. All right, Dylan, when we were planning this podcast, I told you to prepare a summary for Oedipus Rex, uh, assuming that you would end up creating a summary for Picasso the Lapine Agile. Am I right? Yeah, that's exactly what I did, actually. Excellent. You didn't pick Oedipus Y, nothing like that? Oedipus Z. Ooh, the Canadian version. I like it. (laughs) Well, uh, I'm really sorry. I've been working on this complex equation, sort of a theoretical physics sort of a thing, unified field theory. It's really capturing my attention right now. I'm I'm just going to be working on this uh, while you deliver your summaries. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Okay, well, and since I don't care about what you think, uh, why don't you go ahead and start? Well, since I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do anyways, why don't I fucking start? Okay, ignore my pencil scratchings. So, Picasso at the Lapine Agile, or the Lap and Agile, as 
we more customarily know it, um, is a fictional, surprisingly, account. None of this is real. Um, of Albert Einstein meeting Pablo Picasso in a bar in France in 1904? Four. 1904. And it's got some crazy characters. In fact, everybody in this play sort of comes across as pretty wacky. All right, so the play starts. Uh, we meet Freddy, the bartender, and Gaston, one of his regular patrons. And before you know it, Albert Einstein walks in and announces that he's there to meet a woman uh, at a different bar at a different time. Hmm. And he starts to, at first, reveal this whole idea of, given the randomness of the world, it's just as likely that she'll meet him here as she would anywhere else. Um, and the only reason that works is because she also thinks like him. Einstein orders a drink, goes to the bathroom. Freddy's girlfriend, Jermaine, comes in and starts talking some some random shit to, towards Freddy, mostly. And then Einstein comes back in the front door and repeats the same thing he just said. I'm here to meet a woman at a different bar at 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, and they just say, don't ask. And so he sits down and he starts talking about the nature of his work and what he does. You know, him being on... He has a lot of knowing understanding of what's going to come in the future. And then he's right on the break of this understanding of relativity and all this, so on and so forth. So some back and forth occurs. Everybody at this point also sort of gives their own ideas of what the future might hold. And there's a lot of sort of philosophical discussion about what it means to be someone like Einstein. And uh, another one comes in looking for Picasso. And there's no reason to expect him to be there, except for she thinks she's going to see him. She's seen him before. And she talks about a night they had together and how he's sort of been ghosting her since then. And wouldn't you know it, Picasso shows up. Huh. How it's convenient. A, yeah, it's just as likely as anything else, I would assume. Yeah. So when Picasso comes in, it, right at the point where they're all about to toast to Picasso, by the way, speak the devil, and Picasso appears. I'd never heard of that saying before. Is that common? I think it's French. Oh, that would make sense. Oh, anyway, continue. <laughs> so the then the rest, the bulk of the play turns into a discussion primarily between Einstein and Picasso about the nature of of art and genius and inspiration. Picasso comes across as pretty superior. He really seems to have this notion that the closer he gets to a you know to having zero time between the moment of inspiration and the moment of creation like the closer to a god he gets he gets he gets so powerful in that way and he speaks about his art as though it will change the world it's the most important thing that will ever happen whereas einstein who we know will also change the world with his own understanding already seems to see that there's no real difference between what picasso does and what Einstein does. They're both just two magicians of their particular art form. It just happens that Einstein's doesn't strike many people as art. They do magic? They, I mean, essentially they do. They, they, do, mm. they do this fun thing where they both, uh, they race to draw something. And of course, Einstein writes down an equation and P Picasso draws something. And Picasso keeps trying to say, look, well, mine's, mine's better than yours because, you know, it's, it's built of lines and yours is letters. And Einstein's will... Letters are just lines. It's like, well, but mine really means something to people. And Einstein says, well, mine does too. So they have this nice conversation. And, and through it all, there's some back and forth. That kind of Steve Martin back and forth, really quick witty banter that, that makes this play really enjoyable. And by the end of the play, Picasso seems to agree that he and, he and Einstein are just two sides of one coin. And around that time, a visitor comes out of the bathroom. 
A visitor from another world? Uh, from a world. Oh, okay. He is suspiciously described exactly as though he were Elvis Presley. Why is that suspicious? Um, maybe it's just suspicious in my mind. We can't go on <laughs> suspicious mind. I honestly don't know enough Elvis titles to play this game with you, so. Well, let me just ask, are you lonesome? Tonight? Do you miss me? Kind of. All right, well, that now I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways. Although, real quick, before you continue, how does it sound? E equals M C cubed. Does that sound good? I feel like it's earth shattered, or maybe it's not. I don't, I don't know. know what any of the words mean, but I do like cubes. Cool. I feel the same way about this. When play. I was a middle school boy, I really delighted in taking a square and then making it into a three dimensional cube on a piece of paper. So you drew it, so you didn't actually transform the dimensions. Of it. It was just lines on a paper. In the universe I had created, it was three dimensional. I feel like Einstein would be upset with you. Yeah, well, he's dead, so fuck him. Right now? <laughs> anyway, back to your, your summary. So the artist, formerly known as Elvis, walks in, <laughs> known okay. as the visitor, okay. uh, and he essentially continues the conversation from a new, unique side. You know, he he reveals that he's basically he's been this huge name in the world and he's just kind of been traveling around time traveling he says visiting different time zones and just pokes his head in to put a little button on this conversation between Einstein and Picasso about what what genius is and what it means to mean something to the world uh, and what it turns out he's actually there to do is he's there with a message from her who he never her? says who she is, oh. but it seems to be the muse, the the <laughs> generic muse, the three-piece British rock band muse. The Kirkland version of the three-piece <laughs> British rock band. <laughs> yes, called, what, Fuse? Um, they all <clears throat> make water. I guess. <laughs> so it turns out that the real reason the visitor is here is to show Picasso his next stage in his artistic evolution. He's coming out of his blue period, and everybody in the play has been remarking on this painting of sheep in a field that's up behind the bar. And the visitor finally looks at it and says, well, that's that's weird. Someone says, well, what's weird about it? It's just sheep in a field. He says, it looks like five women to me. You really see sheep in a field? It's see five women. And then when he reveals that he's here to give a message, he says, you know, are you ready for this? And he gives Picasso the vision of his next major work, uh, which winds up being uh, Les Demoiselles d'Avignon. I may have butchered that a little bit, but it's the five women, the, the five women in his cubist phase that he joined, that he started. Okay, but can you say that one more time, but more like orangey? You know, I can't redo the French pronunciation. I don't know what you mean by orange. I just wanted L'orange? you to, I just wanted to hear Some you Duck L'Orange? <laughs> and dans la duck l'orange. La, la demoiselle d'Avignon. Gesundheit. So that, that, is, that is the painting that kicked off Picasso's cu cubist face. And with that, the curtain drops and we've had our conversation about genius and art. And as the curtain drops, the visitor comments on how it's just so nice that the play happened to last 
for just as long as the lights were up. Mm. End of play. It's uh, quite an interesting summarization of that play there. Thank you. I mean, it was just a little bit abstract. Right. Uh, I, I prefer representationalism, you know, what can, what can I say? Um, although, while I was working on my uh, equation here, I ended up accidentally baking a pie in the shape of one of the letters of the alphabet. Clearly, I, I followed the instructions poorly at some point. So I would say you followed them exactly as we would have all expected. No. Hey, look at that. I thought I failed and I succeeded. Way to go, me. <laughs> well, all right, Dylan. Clearly, there's a lot to talk about in this play. It was very fun. I, I, I thought of it as a rapid pace, very Steve Martin type of comedy sort of a play. There is enough situational humor as there is uh, meta jokes, and there's quite a lot of trust in the audience to get all these jokes as they're flying past. What were your first reactions to this play? Yeah, I definitely felt the same way as I it felt like this needed to be a quick back and forth, particularly the 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 parts where Picasso and Einstein are most at odds where they're just like am not am too like that very childish. There's there's a very slapstick quality to a lot of the dialogue. You don't think of dialogue as being slapstick, but that's definitely how it strikes you. Absolutely. I mean, you find all those those old classic conversations of as you said, the did not, did too, did not, did too, pre, post, yeah. you know, and it turns into four people all trading words and it, it, in the same way that the Three Stooges would be trading blows. Yeah, or that Abbott and Costello would be trading nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Misunderstandings, that, that kind of thing. Um, and so that's, it's a whole lot of fun. I, I do think that the the primary feeling you come out of this play was that it was all just so absurd. And that's like, I, I love the thing, you know, right away of Einstein walking in and saying, well, I'm here to meet a woman, but not in this bar, but why not this bar kind of thing. Sure. As, is immediately coming out with this general idea of, well, the, it's all random, so I might as well be here now and expect her to find me. Um, but then Einstein walks into a bathroom and never comes back out of that bathroom. <laughs> You're right. He re-enters from the main entrance of... The bar yeah. of the quick bunny. Maybe he is quick like a bunny. And, and we just didn't see him. But yeah, it's it's just, it's so weird that he goes into that bathroom and then, uh, and then the visitor comes out of that bathroom having never come <laughs> in the front door. And then you stop and think about the fact that Gaston has been going into that bathroom every few pages of this play. He goes into the bathroom three or four times. <laughs> and it's like, so are are these time travelers, which it appears that it appears it appears that Elvis just is a time traveler. Yeah. And that Einstein is at least enough to where he can go to a different place and walk back in the front door. You know, not only is is time curved, so is Paris. That kind of thing. But excellent what use is of quotations. Gas, what has Gaston been doing? Is he just, is he, does he, can he not use the bathroom as, as a teleportation? Or has he been like time tripping in his own weird old French way? Is it possible that Gaston being one of the thought leaders of his generation, one of the great minds that presses society forwards, was really just consuming such a great quantity of alcohol whilst deliberating on mankind's struggles and the solutions thereto? that he just had to pee a lot. I mean, 
we know that no one thinks like Gaston. No one drinks like Gaston. Therefore... No, no. That pun is beastly. (laughs) Thanks, beauty. (laughs) Anyway, I love that you bring up the absurdity in this play, because this is almost exactly what we would expect from Steve Martin. I mean, especially having watched... His, his movies growing up, and there are plenty of people in our original discussion for this that were huge fans of his. Not just his musical career, but also his stand-up and his movie career. Uh, yeah, the musical career is definitely the first one that everyone brings up. Having grown up as a fan of Steve Martin and the breadth of his career, we would expect this level of uncertainty and silliness. I mean, he was a master of physical comedy. He was a master of setting up a joke that the audience wouldn't think it's funny, but that it was existentially funny in plenty of very strange and weird ways. So from my perspective, we almost had to have some level of absurdity and outright silliness in this for it to be a real Steve Martin play. Yeah, it definitely feels like from... Primarily not knowing his his writing, but knowing him as an actor, like this is the kind of thing that you would almost want him to be acting in because he so well pulls off that insanity mm-hmm. in a way that somehow works. That like you actually do find it funny and you do find it relatable, even though it is totally over the top. Yeah, because it's just sort of that rapid fire delivery and that sort of charm that comes with it. And I think this play is sort of infused with that. Absolutely. So why does it work in this situation for Picasso and Einstein to be such goofballs, I, like taking virtually nothing seriously except for their dedication and belief in their art? I think even you, when you set up this play and it's going to have time traveling Elvis and and some discussion of of what art means like i think that to try and make that too serious runs the risk of getting very dour very quickly if einstein and picasso both came in as these very somber portrayals as they have been shown in other media mm. they can still have this conversation but it gets dark and depressing and sad pretty quick to take all these ideas of art and fame and genius and dress them up in all of this comedy surrounding it, it really allows you to to get into some pretty singular ideas without dragging the entire play down. You keep that pace up, and then it's not until that particular line or that particular turn of phrase that you're like, oh, that does really also resonate with me. I also just love the idea of a bar with a time-traveling bathroom, or rather, a bathroom in which one can time-travel. Yeah, I was going to say, the bathroom doesn't go anywhere, or anywhere. As far as we know, though. That's true. I, I could imagine plenty of other theatrical works that would be infinitely improved with a bathroom in which one can time travel. I mean, wasn't that pretty much the plot of Hamlet 2? I mean, was that one Electric Boogaloo? Or, or was that Hamlet Harder? Uh, I think it was Hamlet Harder. Yeah, I mean, Hamlet Harder, but in a bathroom that travels. Twice the Hamlet three times the fun (laughs) oh my god anyway so i think that this play really tries to talk about the difference between artistic genius and scientific genius and albeit to a lesser extent the difference between those two and musical genius yeah and i think the point it really tries to make is that they're 
well, like I said in the summary, they're different, just sides of the same coin, is that they're all, they're all sort of speaking to the same universal response that certain people have to whatever their muse happens to be. Okay. So you talk about, you talk about Einstein being able to, like, being able to describe relativity, and in layman's terms, relativity is simply like, well, from any given point of view, things can be different, but that doesn't make it true or untrue. It's just it it's all relative. And so Einstein is smart enough to realize that even though he sees his intelligence as being you know, the ultimate thing you know, it is in his life, he's able to recognize that his genius with mathematics is no less worthy than Picasso's is with art. Absolutely. And he doesn't necessarily immediately get that same response from Picasso because Picasso finds himself to be pretty special. And it's even, he doesn't even realize, he doesn't even know for sure that he is going to be special, but he has this realization that it feels like there's going to be a famous Picasso soon, and it might just be me. There might soon be a time where it's good to be a Picasso. Yeah. And and there you have it. I I think you're right. I think the the overall point of the play is some amalgamation of the idea that there is beauty in science. There is beauty in art, obviously. There's beauty in music. There are things to be celebrated about all of this, and all of them, being something as simple as lines on a page, still have the ability and, in fact, the history of causing great impacts and changes to the world. I mean, Picasso and Einstein have a duel where they quickly sketch out something on a piece of paper and then argue about the merits of each. And the real culmination of that is them embracing as brothers. They are siblings in the same pursuit towards beauty. They just have the different opinion of what beauty is and what constitutes kind of the universal beauty that both of them are working towards. They, and I think that, that that point you're talking about is definitely the crux of the play, is yeah. where, and the again, the absolute absurdity of Einstein in a draw-off competition with Picasso, and Einstein finishes first, mm-hmm. but it's only because Einstein sees, I'm going to make something beautiful, but it doesn't need to be the specific definition of art that we would expect to see. Right. And so that really is him pointing out, you know, Picasso says, well, yours is just lines. And Einstein says, well, so is yours. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, mine makes men weep. Well, men have wept when they have seen and understood this equation. Is that it's almost as though there is an equal beauty in something being done well and with passion, regardless of what that something is. Yeah. So whether you are painting on a canvas or, you know, sculpting a monument or cracking the actual quality of C for uh, the the speed of light. Yeah, that C's a right bastard, let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, well, and I'm glad that you brought this up and phrased it like that because this is actually this week's Inappropriate Reference of the Week. Yeah, yeah. You're harmonizing because you know better. nothing. So the way that Einstein's equation and Picasso's sketches are compared in such a one-to-one situation reminded me a lot of one of the main tropes of the graphic novel, movie, and HBO series Watchmen or The Watchmen, where Dr. Manhattan, the character modeled after science is inspired by Einstein's 
actual equation in this situation. Manhattan Project. Thank you. Uh, He says a living body has the same number of particles as a dead body. Uh, Essentially, there's no real difference between the warm and impassioned and the cold and passionless when you look at it from a certain perspective. There is no difference between the sciences and the arts when you look at it from a certain perspective. And even bringing in the idea of the visitor being a musician and the most uh, famous of all the musicians, what is music but a series of semi-complicated mathematical formulas? Yeah, Music is literally just a series of frequencies that have been reproduced in a particular way that we find pleasing. Absolutely. And if yeah, if you spend any time in studying music theory, which I I have spent a lot of time, you know that even just like the standard western tuning of instruments is not universal worldwide. Universal worldwide. There's a redundancy in the thing there's, you just there's said. something in there. Yeah, but it's not universal even just on this planet. <laughs> there there are other there are other very frequent Middle Eastern cultures and uh, I think the most probably the most famous one famous one would be um frequently Asian styles of music function on a pent- pentatonic scale, basically a five-tone scale instead of an eight-tone scale. That's a little bit off topic. Um but I think the whole point of that quote you brought up was that there is no inherent meaning other than what we give. We ascribe meaning to things, which is why there is no objective difference between a living body and a dead body, but we give it meaning sure. with our perception and with our with what we find important. And that, I think, is why it's so interesting that an obvious Elvis comes out of the bathroom because one of the points he makes at the end of the play is after the roof just comes off of the bar for no reason, mm. they can all see in the stars and Einstein seen, sees his name written in the stars and Picasso sees his name written in the stars and Elvis says, oh yeah, look at my name. It's like twice as big as yours. Yeah. And that's the way. Three times as big. Yeah. yeah. And, and so then that's the whole thing is like theoretically the contributions made to our society and our livelihoods particularly by Einstein, ought to overshadow Elvis's. But Elvis was such a massive fucking personality that his name's three times as big in the stars. Yeah. And that's only the case, not because he's better or because he's worse, but only because of the value that we have given it. So it goes towards the question of why Picasso? Why Einstein? Why Elvis? And I think it's because they are the titans of their own art forms their work has had such a great effect that it completely shifted the paradigms in science and theoretical physics in music in artwork completely Uh, it's hard to discuss any of those sciences and arts without discussing those names specifically here's the thing though why was schmendeman other than his apparent sexiness and his beautiful name yeah, and it's such a good name. You gotta love a soft shh. <laughs> Why was Schmendeman included amongst these legends, these heroes, these... Uh, these third things because you need the rule of three. I do, thank you. All right, the, these these true Schmendemans of their <laughs> societies. 
I think the point is that Schmendeman is another sort of archetype. Okay. And and in a way, even though even though Einstein and Picasso and Elvis are specific references, they are also archetypes for their entire subset. Their field? You know, yeah. It yeah. Their their unified field. I have a theory about if, that, if by the way. I'd rather you didn't. Um You don't want pie? It's, it's it's simply that you know, Einstein stands in for all scientists. Uh-huh. Picasso stands in for all artists, etc. And the thing about Schmendemann is he's that dude. He's that kind of person who gets really famous for some for one really weird thing, be it good or bad. And that's why Schmendemann basically does. Well, he does three things in the play, but two mainly. He talks about. An absolutely ridiculous and probably poisonous building material that he's currently working on. The cat paws? Yeah, the cat paws and, uh, what is it, uranium? Radium. Radium. He's he's building this bullshit, and he's only allowed to use it <laughs> near these places of massive natural disasters. What, Which, like fault lines and volcanic islands and exactly. things like that? Exactly. This, this man is the Hindenburg of construction. <sighs> oh. You know the name. <laughs> There's only one reason why you're going to know it. <laughs> That's what it is. And But then also, he serves... I, I wanted to, the, the, the smaller one is that he serves as a point of just pure comedy where a woman comes in and sees Picasso and is like, Oh my god, you're so great. You're so beautiful. You're not Schmendeman. <laughs> I love that. I love that line. It's like, wait, Schmendeman is actually a fucking thing? And then I think the third thing is... At the end of the play, when everyone's trying to figure out how to get everyone to smile for the photo, mm-hmm. it's apparently never been done before, but Schmendeman says, well, we could all say cheese. Yeah. And that is that man's legacy. And that he is the the archetype of a person who is only looking for a legacy. Yeah. He's looking for an affordable Subaru sedan. <laughs> Yikes. Although he, he doesn't care what the legacy is. He just wants one. And really? so he's just he's throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. And as always, the answer is cheese. I mean, you're also in Paris. So anyone that says they don't like cheese does not conform to that stereotype. Yeah, basically a communist fascist. Yeah, that's the thing that I that's the thing that agree with you say. the saying. thing that exists. Although, if I had a dollar for every time I was trying to pick up someone in a bar and they responded with, but you're not Schmendeman, I would have $3, which isn't a lot, but it is surprising that it's happened three times. What's the exchange rate for francs in that? I think it's three francs to one Henry, two and a half Henrys to an Aaron. What about a Frank Schmendeman? Oh, <sighs> God. Well, then you have to get into the IMF and uh, the MLB. The Impossible Mission Force? <laughs> Is Ethan Hunt involved here? Oh, my God. Is well, this mission even possible? I, if it were possible, you wouldn't have been sent on it. So let's talk about the plot of this play. <laughs> yeah, it, is there one? That's a fun question. Because Thanks. I believe that the plot is perhaps maybe a third of the total action within the play. As far as I can tell, the entire plot of the play is a bunch of people showed up to a bar and then Picasso became inspired. 
he finally was able to leave the era that he was currently experimenting in, his blue period, quote unquote, and talked about this is what it feels like when I decide to leave this period. And that the entire purpose of having the visitor, Elvis, in this play was only completely singularly about providing Pablo Picasso with the inspiration for his next painting. If you disagreed with basically everything that Einstein has proposed, you might think that he was meant to be there. Meant to be there. In that time, in that place, to show Picasso that that Elvis wasn't just randomly tripping through time-traveling toilets. Hmm. He was in that quick rabbit yep. at the right time with the right people to advance that person's art. Hmm. And so it is, it's again, it's that sort of discussion of romanticism versus deconstructionism sure. is, is this idea of romantic stories is that in in this play a romantic story would be well everybody was there because they were supposed to and they learned something great about their lives and this was just one massive turning point for all the people in this bar okay but that is contrasted directly with the idea that nothing means anything and everything is basically just as equal as everything else and I feel like that is that is one of the more subtle themes that I think, again, comes back to Elvis's name being three times larger in the stars, is that the fact that everything is equal does not mean that the things that become popular or the things that gain traction or, or whatever they happen to be are given so because of some inherent betterness or beauty. There is no such thing as a meritocracy. Shitty things become popular, and great things never see the light of day because of almost uncountable different variables. You were in the wrong place. You, you showed your art to the wrong art dealer. You know Somebody sold something for less than it was worth or more than it was worth, and you got a reputation. There are all these things that go into whether or not something succeeds or fails in every walk of life, every art form, every job. And it's just the stuff that connects with people connects with people. One of the best examples of that is the difference between a Picasso, even sketch, and the Matisse painting that goes on the wall. We're told from Sago, the expert on the sellability and popularity of paintings at this time, that the Matisse painting will sell for a lot of money, but from 10 feet away the room starts to take control over it and not vice versa. Whereas Picasso manages to scribble something down on a napkin. It's more expensive if it's signed, but that alone gets sold internationally. And to people that have never even come close to Picasso, but someone who knows Matisse personally says his paintings don't, don't command more than 10 feet away from the room. Mm -hmm. So I agree. I don't think there's a meritocracy here. Picasso is a Picasso, and that's what makes him a Picasso. And that's why his paintings and his sketches are more valued in many ways, even during this time frame, as Steve Martin displays it, than a Matisse painting with the gorgeous frame. One of the things that I think illustrates this in a certain way is sort of this idea that Something can mean something to emotionally instead of or even when you do know that it meant less 
logically or realistically. And mm-hmm. one, one of my favorite quotes in this play is when Picasso is confronted by Suzanne, who has already told the the rest of the group about this one night they had together and that how he saw her in the right light and was basically like, I have to paint you Mm. and said all these sweet things and took her to bed immediately. She said after only a few minutes, the word no was like a Polish village. Unpronounceable. (laughs) Another great joke. I love. So this all comes back where Picasso sees her in the bar and introduces himself like they've never met. Yep. And they don't know each other. And she gives him, she lays into him like, how how dare you act this way to me? How dare you be this mm-hmm. way? And and then forget me. And Picasso says, in probably the most honest portrayal of anything he does in this show, is, I meant everything I said to you that night. I just forgot who I said it to. <laughs> <laughs> and that just... It kills me because it seems so true. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I was absolutely irrevocably in love with you for this amount of time. Mm-hmm. But I've also got this ability to feel that way about everybody all the time mm-hmm. as long as it strikes me. And that is that is the thing is that, once again, nobody is better or worse. Everything is equal. Except Suzanne placed a lot of meaning on those words. And Picasso placed the same amount of meaning on those words as he does everything he says and everything mm-hmm. he paints. They're all very important to him at the time. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that he's going to remember who you are the next day. Well, and isn't that the way that the general public can consume things like art and science? Is that something may be intensely meaningful to you in one moment, and then in the very next moment suddenly something else has taken over and some new impulse or some new passion has become the dominant force within you. I think so. And this has been my TED Talk. I think so. And that's really what it comes down to is I think that the play at the end, you know, I mean, other than talking briefly about how all of these guys, you know, how, how Elvis and Einstein and Picasso all just got into this to get laid. Like mm. they were trying to find their way to impress women and get them in bed. I think that the main question that this play attempts to pose is what does it mean to be inspired? Mm. And we see it from a bunch of different perspectives. And I think all of it is about that fleeting moment. Is every good artist, writer, musician has had that moment where suddenly the work appears to come together on its own where you're writing this song and then suddenly the next lyrics are so clear to you that they may as well have been written down and handed to you. Mm -hmm. And that is that moment of inspiration that everybody is looking for. And depending on your preferred type of art, it may come in a brighter or a more dim flash, but the entire thing is about just trying to find that moment of inspiration and then being open to it when it appears to you. Absolutely. And very well stated. And you look handsome today. Thank you. I would like to say I actually have to run next door and collect a bar tab from someone before they leave town. I want you to know it's going to seem like this is going to take way too long. It is an exactly appropriate amount of time for me to be partaking in that particular activity. That particular partaking is perfectly natural. Wonderful. And again beautifully stated you're quite handsome uh while i am 
engaging in said activity. Debt collection? Yes, thank you. Shake down. Um, I have one more quick question for you. Why do you feel that Elvis was unable to tell the difference between some sheep and five women? Well, the obvious answer is because sheep are beautiful, man. <laughs> they are just, they're so at home in their natural environment. They can go out and run around and field and you know they they allow us to be clothed by becoming naked themselves and there's a real level of intimacy and beauty that we share with this beautiful sexy delicious animal <laughs> wow uh, okay. there is nothing that i like more than a good lamb shank <laughs> and thank you for coming to my ted talk <laughs> Okay, the censors are telling us we need to cut off that question right away. So, Dylan, I would love to thank you for joining me today, as always. But you probably can't. They won't allow me to. The censors have fainted. But you should take some solace in knowing that me thanking you would be just as likely as me not thanking you. So, I feel like we're on even ground anyway. Yeah, and I was really happy to have talked about Titus Andronicus with you for so long. It's an amazing play. God. Ah, when Tybalt started speaking, it just takes me away every time. That William H. Macy is a sexy man. We can agree on that, at least. Thank you, everyone, so much. Please join us for the next one. Like, share, and subscribe. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Sexy and delicious? <laughs> Minutes to Curtain is a project of the Miscreant Theatre Collective, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. This was written and produced by Dylan McDonald and Andy Rogers and directed by Aaron Slemak and sometimes Dylan McDonald. 